Woo, I'm excited this morning. The Boston Celtics eked out a win last night. Woo, it was a close one, last second literally, but they made it to game seven. Maybe they can, maybe they can be the first team in NBA history to make it out of a, an 0-3 hole. Uh, but I'm excited. I get to watch basketball again on Memorial Day evening. But I'm even more excited because today is Pentecost Sunday, amen? And it was about 50 days after Jesus uh, had uh, gone to the cross, 50 days after Passover, the disciples were waiting in Jerusalem, just like Jesus said they should do. After his resurrection, he had appeared to them over a period of about 40 days, and he told them to wait for the promise of the Father, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so for a week or so, they waited. Now, I'm sure that they were excited. After all, they had seen the risen Savior, Jesus was alive again. He'd done what no one else had ever uh, accomplished. He had died, and then he had come back out the backside of death. He had broken through death and made a way through it for us. And so they had to be ecstatic about this. He, he had done something that was totally unprecedented. And many of the apostles didn't have any trouble being confident while Jesus was alive, even when they shouldn't have been so confident in themselves. Maybe, though, as they were waiting on the day of Pentecost, as they were waiting for this moment when God would pour out the Holy Spirit, maybe they were anxious to get started telling people about what Jesus had done. But they were obedient. And they waited on what God was going to do in them. Jesus knew they were going to need more than good intentions. He knew that they were going to need more than what they had inside themselves to do what he was asking them to do. Their good intentions, after all, had failed him before. They were going to need more than their own enthusiasm and their own ambition and their own good ideas. He wasn't asking them to start a new religious sect. He was sending them to proclaim his resurrection and to plant the church all over the world. They were going to be agents that would change history and the way the world thinks and works to this very day. And some of them probably felt a bit sheepish. After all, Peter denied Jesus three times. Thomas doubted that Jesus was resurrected. One of the 12 had betrayed Jesus. How did they not see that coming? Only one of them had the courage not to run away, even after Jesus warned them and encouraged them concerning his own death. What was going to overcome their mountain of weaknesses? How was God going to use this bunch to proclaim the good news and change the world? Acts 2, 1 through 4 tells us this, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Maybe you feel sheepish, unable, weak, or passive when it comes to your faith. And when it comes to your ability to be useful in the kingdom of God, maybe you even feel ashamed for past failures to stand up for the Lord or to share your trust in the Lord. Perhaps you're thinking that you can come to church, but you're never going to be useful in God's kingdom because you don't have the confidence for it. You don't have the personality for it. Today, I'm encouraged to tell you that you can be part of a spirit-empowered church. It's not all up to you. 
It's not all up to you because God wants to do in your life what he did in the disciples' lives on the original day of Pentecost. He wants to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. And he's placed you in a church that can be empowered by the Spirit to continue telling the world the good news that Jesus died but he rose again and he's coming again to judge the world and to bring us into eternal life. In the past, we've talked about how the purpose of the baptism of the Spirit is to empower God's people to be witnesses for him. And that's absolutely true, without a doubt. But I think that it may sometimes produce in us an idea or an image of what baptism in the Spirit is that is a bit too narrow. Perhaps when you hear empowered to witness, you think of going door to door. Hey, have you heard about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, or something like that? Or, or you think about accosting a stranger on the sidewalk. Now, neither of those things is wrong. And the Holy Spirit can indeed and does embolden people for those sudden acts of witness that maybe are outside of their comfort zones. But I think those images may cause us to think too narrowly about what the Holy Spirit wants to do in us, not just individually, but even as a church. Of course, it's individuals that God baptizes in the Holy Spirit, but those individuals belong to a body, to a church, and their ministry and, wit and witness is not just individual, it's collective. We do it together. God is working in your life, and you should be looking and expecting his work in your life, but the Holy Spirit is also working in us and through us collectively as the body of Christ. The Holy Spirit not only gives boldness to witness in a direct one-on-one -on -one manner, but he also gives gifts through which the church is built up to fulfill her mission and proclaim the good news of Jesus in the world. You can see this trend throughout the pages of scripture. This isn't something that we made up suddenly yesterday or something like that. The Bible talks about this throughout the pages of scripture. It talks about it in the Old Testament through prophecies like Joel 2, 28 to 29, which was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. It says, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. God said he was going to broaden the group who could experience his empowering presence. It wasn't just going to be priests. It wouldn't just be prophets, but anyone who would call on the name of Jesus. And Jesus was beginning, he was the beginning of this process, and he was a demonstration of what a spirit-empowered life looks like. He said in Luke 4, 18 to 19 about himself, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus' own ministry, though he is the son of God, was empowered by the Holy Spirit, whom Jesus relied on throughout his life on earth, so as to teach us that this is not something that just he could do, but it's something that we can do because he's poured out the same spirit on us. And after Jesus died and, and was resurrected, he promised to send that same Holy Spirit. He said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth, Acts 1.8. And that took place on the day of 
Pentecost. And that baptism in the Spirit was like a gateway for the church. It was a gateway into an empowering work that they hadn't experienced previously when they were just following Jesus. It was a gateway into the presence of God, not only in their own midst, but in their lives personally as well. It was a gateway to not only his presence, but to the Spirit empowering them through gifts that he was giving to the church in order to empower their witness. And so the Apostle Paul would go on to write about these gifts in Romans 12 through 14, as well as in, uh, or excuse me, in 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, as well as in Romans 12 and Ephesians 4 and in a few other places in the New Testament. But take a look at how he describes them briefly in 1 Corinthians 12, 4 to 7. And you're probably going to have to use your Bibles this morning because, like I said, the, uh, the computer upstairs went down and so they haven't been able to load everything as quickly as we're moving through the service. And so you want to grab a Bible to follow along, you can. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 to 7 says this, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And Paul goes on to describe a variety of spiritual gifts, some obviously supernatural in nature, some that were oriented around teaching and encouraging, and others that were oriented around serving others. And on Wednesdays, we're taking a close look at the gifts of the Spirit, and I, I want to encourage you to come on Wednesdays, especially this summer as we study the gifts of the Spirit. I'm really praying that this is going to be instrumental in helping us develop our practice of spiritual gifts, our willingness to allow the Holy Spirit to use us in a variety of ways, and that we'll become more aware of the Spirit's presence among us and be a Spirit-empowered church. And I share all of that to demonstrate that this is God's long-standing purpose. He wants to empower his church. He wants to empower you and I for his mission. This isn't a small theme in the Bible. It's not an isolated thing that God did. It's not like, oh, those weirdos who are Pentecostals because they believe that this weird thing happened on the day of Pentecost. No, 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 no. Actually, it, it talks about it from Deuteronomy through Revelation, how God's spirit would empower his people with gifts that were beyond their own abilities. God wants to empower his people. It has been God's plan to pour out his spirit on his church to accomplish his mission. And this is God's promise and his plan both for our growth as a church and for the spread of the gospel around the world. And since this is what God wants, I think that we can say with confidence, we can be a spirit-empowered church. And if this is what God wants, shouldn't we be able to say with confidence in our hearts, look, I don't know that I can do it. I don't think there's anything super special about me. I don't think that there are great gifts that I've got in the natural that is just going to make people, you know, want to come or whatever. But we can say with confidence, if, if God's word says that he wants to pour out his spirit, and it's not a minor theme, it's a major theme in the Bible, and the day of Pentecost happened, and he says, I, I, I'm doing it, I'm pouring out my spirit, then we ought to be able to say as a church, we can be a spirit-empowered church. And we shouldn't think of the Holy Spirit's empowering work as something that is for super spiritual people or only for certain kinds of churches. God wants to empower you. And he wants to empower us together collectively as the church. He wants to give us power beyond our talents, beyond our abilities, beyond our experiences for his kingdom. 
But as with all things related to God's purpose, he expects us to respond to him, to respond to his presence. He wants us to respond in faith, and he wants us to cooperate. Well, how do we do that? How do we respond to God's promise that he was going to pour out his spirit and make us a spirit-empowered church? Well, I think the first thing we do is we wait for it. Have you ever wanted to, to show someone something you found really interesting, maybe like a cool trick, maybe a science experiment, maybe you were dropping Mentos in a Coke bottle or something like that, and the reaction wasn't happening as fast as you wanted, and so you had to say, wait for it, wait for it. Maybe you lit a fuse on a firework. I know you're not supposed to do that in Massachusetts, but hey, I'm from the Midwest. We did that, all right? You lit a fuse on a firework, and it didn't seem to go off, and you were tempted to go up there and stick your head over it to see what was wrong, and you go, no, 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 no. Wait for it. Wait for it. And finally, it goes off, right? You ever done anything like that? Or maybe you send somebody a video, right? And it's boring for the first three minutes, but there's something really funny that happens at the end. And so what do you caption the video? Watch till the end. Wait till the end. Something cool is going to happen. I think if Jesus were recording uh, Peter's story directly, maybe he would have put a caption like that over the Apostle Peter's life. He would have captioned the video of the Apostle Peter, wait for it. Watch till the end. You might put up with some of Peter's missteps as you're watching this video, uh, arguing with the other apostles, attempting to correct Jesus, his lack of faith, his brashness that looked an awful lot like pride when he declared that he would follow Jesus even to death. But when you get to the place where he says that and then he denies Jesus three times, I don't know about you, I'm turning that program off. This is, this is not good. I mean, this is not going well. This is not going to be a good ending for this one. He's declared his devotion for Jesus. Not I, Lord, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go with you even to death. And then he denies Jesus three times even after being warned. I would have been saying this guy is not going anywhere. But I can imagine Jesus saying, wait for it. Wait for it, watch till the end, because on the day of Pentecost, after Jesus poured out the Spirit on his followers, Peter, who lost all nerve and denied Jesus three times, stood up in front of an enormous crowd, and within earshot, probably, of the people who killed Jesus, the religious leaders who had lobbied for him to be crucified, and he'd been so afraid of those religious leaders before, but now he stands up and he preaches, and he preached the gospel with such power that 3,000 people believed on that day and, and were baptized. Wait for it. Jesus had told his disciples to wait for it. He said in Acts 1-4, while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. We can be a spirit-empowered church, and it starts with waiting for it. Now, I, I don't mean just hanging out and doing nothing, being passive, thinking that God will send his Holy Spirit. I mean something more active and intentional. When God told the disciples to wait for the promise of the Father, they obeyed him, remaining in Jerusalem and seeking God in his word and in prayer together. It was an active waiting. It's not like the waiting you do at the DMV or in you know, the drive through line. It's not like that kind of waiting. We're not just killing time, wishing God would do something and show up. Waiting involves faith in the meantime. And as a church, waiting Waiting looks a lot like gathering for prayer with a focus on the Holy Spirit. I want to encourage you to take advantage of the many opportunities we have to pray together. 
Whether it's on a Wednesday night or Thursday over the noon hour as we fast and pray or Saturday evening before our services or second Sunday at six or one of our special prayer services that take place throughout the year, these are opportunities for us to wait with the expectation that the Holy Spirit has been poured out and God still wants to pour out the Spirit on his church today. To be faithful as we look with hope to the promises of God. Our waiting should be responsive. Our waiting shouldn't be passive. Our waiting should be responsive. If you've ever been responsible for children, whether they were yours or they were somebody else's, maybe you were babysitting, you know how important and even refreshing a responsive attitude in a child can be. When you call her name, she doesn't remain silent. She doesn't ignore you, pretending like she didn't hear because she's doing something else that she doesn't want to be bothered about. She responds. When you ask her to do something, she's willing, she's helpful. It makes a huge difference. Or maybe you could think about it in terms of emails. You know the people who are responsive to emails, don't you? You know the people that when you send the email, they're going to get back to you within a few minutes. And then you know those that it could be days, months, or maybe even years before they respond and you get the information you need from them. You know that responsiveness makes a difference. When we're gathered as a church, let me encourage you that we ought to be responsive to God and to his word. I don't know what what background you're from. We, We come from all kinds of backgrounds, don't we? And that's a good thing. God has saved us from all kinds of different lives in the past. He's brought us out of those things. I don't know what you're used to in the past, but let me encourage you that as a church, one of the things we want to value is being responsive to the Holy Spirit. In other words, it is not a mark of shame if you would come seek the Lord at the end of one of our services. You're not signaling to anybody, I'm a really bad person, and I need to go up front because I'm way worse than you are. That's not what you're saying when you come to seek the Lord at the altar. Can I just challenge you with something, church? I've heard so many people, to be honest, talk an awful lot about altars and removing altars, why don't we have this, and then they don't come. Can I just be honest with you? That they'll talk an awful lot, a big game, about why don't we have altars anymore, and then when the call is made, Guess who's not present? Guess who's not there? Can I just encourage you? We ought to do a lot less talking about what if and a lot more, let's be responsive when we're in the house. Let's be responsive to the works of the Holy Spirit, the things that the Holy Spirit wants to do. Let's be willing. I know our responses are not the same every Sunday morning. That's by design. We don't want them to always be the same because we don't want to fall in a rut of expectation necessarily if this is how it's always going to be and if we ever deviate, we don't know what to do. We want it to be a little bit different from week to week. But listen, there are calls. There are calls for people to come. When there are, let me encourage you, come. Let me encourage you that if the call doesn't apply specifically to you, you could still come and pray. You could still come and seek the Lord. Or you could pray where you are for those who are seeking the Lord. You could call out to God for those who need salvation. I just want to encourage you, be responsive to the Spirit of God in our midst. And that ties into another element of waiting on the Lord, which is perseverance. Sometimes we need to linger We need to press in. Sometimes you don't feel anything right away. That's okay. That's okay. Press in. Watch and pray a little longer. It may be an opportunity to minister to one another in prayer. It's it's a chance to renew our focus or, or to listen to the Lord. 
And we're often so concerned with what others might be thinking or how we'll look that we don't respond. Let me suggest that we should be a church that waits on the Lord together. Be responsive. You're not responding to me. If you've got a problem with me, don't respond to me. Respond to the Lord. Respond to his word. Be responsive to God. Have a soft and a willing heart to be in the Lord's presence. Don't make him keep calling and prompting you like a stubborn child who's unwilling to listen and unresponsive to the voice of a parent. Be in his presence, waiting with expectation for what he wants to do in us by his Holy Spirit. Let's be a church that waits on the Lord with a responsive heart. And that leads to the second way that we cooperate with the work of the Holy Spirit and respond to him by faith and become a spirit-empowered church. And that is, we expect it. Expect it. When you're baptized in the Spirit, you're walking in the Spirit, there should be a sense of expectation that the Holy Spirit is going to work through you. A couple of weeks ago, Greg Hubbard encouraged us regarding the promptings of the Holy Spirit and and reminded us that he may nudge us to talk to someone about our faith or to pray for someone. He may prompt us to encourage someone or to be generous and meet someone's need. He may push us in unexpected ways, maybe even in ways that make us feel awkward and uncomfortable. He is the Holy Spirit after all. It shouldn't be too surprising that he might want to push us beyond our comfort zone. And sometimes I wonder if part of the reason we don't experience the power of the Spirit to greater degrees is because we don't expect him to work through us. And so maybe we're just missing his promptings and what he wants to do. The expectation we have, uh, we should have as as Spirit-led believers is faith that causes us to look for the leadership and prompting of the Spirit. This shouldn't be an unusual thing for us to say, oh wow, the Holy Spirit led me. Well, that's amazing, it is, but it ought not be unusual among us. Being led by the Spirit and prompted by the Spirit and used by the Holy Spirit should be normal for us. We should expect him to lead us and expect gifts of the Spirit. And when we come to faith in Christ, We're made new. We know this. It's not just that we have some new thoughts. We don't just have some new feelings, but our way of being and of seeing life changes completely, so much so that Jesus called it being born again. Jesus has conquered death, and so the whole perspective on life changes if if you know death has been overcome, doesn't it? The whole deal is, is, is redone because you know that's not the end. The thing that scares everybody and stops everybody, the thing that is a hard stop, right? Two things in life you can be sure of, death and taxes. One of them has been undone by Jesus, and he said, pay the other one until I come back, right? So that one's going to be undone too. And so he's undone these things. We know we're going through this. And that changes not just a little bit. It's not like he gives you a little something on the side, a little ticket to heaven. He changes everything about you. And a similar change of perspective accompanies baptism in the Spirit. We no longer see ourselves on the outside of God's plan, looking in, wishing we could be useful in God's kingdom, wishing God would do something with our lives. But we see that God has sent his Spirit to empower us. Yes, even me. Even you, we don't think of ourselves arrogantly, but we think of ourselves according to God's promise. If he said so, should we doubt him? Should we think, well, it's for them and not for me? If the Holy Spirit wants to give gifts, shouldn't we expect them? 
And this is a total change of perspective. It's no longer religion. Now you're on mission for Jesus. Your devotion isn't partial, it's total. Acts 2, 43 to 47 gives us some insight into this total devotion because this is what happened following the day of Pentecost. We read this, and awe came upon every soul. Many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. This was the result of the work of the Spirit among them. Their entire expectation about what life was and how it ought to be lived began to change. Their perspective was totally different. There was an expectation that God was with them, that he would meet their needs and would fuel their growth. They were looking for it. Let me see if I can help you with a little bit of an illustration. A few years ago, I got a new-to-me vehicle. It, it was used, but I had driven the same vehicle from 2008 to 2020. It was a 2006 Toyota Corolla. It made it a long time. And when I made the change, I liked it. I still do. It's nice. I, dri- I drive a pickup. I like driving a pickup. It's convenient. When I bought it, I hadn't heard much about the model. But then that notorious thing happened to me. I saw it everywhere. They're all over the place. I saw one in a village, a rural village in Peru last summer. They're everywhere. The pickup I drive is, I, I, I thought there were like two of them in the world. There are, there are a lot more than that. I expect them now. I expect to see them everywhere I go. But as much as I like my pickup and I now expect to see it, it's not life changing. I don't think about it constantly. It hasn't changed my expectations or my hopes for the future. But when the Holy Spirit is working in the church, it should change our expectations. We should expect and look for. We should expect to see his work. We should expect to be used by him. I'm not talking about manufactured spirituality or self-fulfilling prophecies. I'm talking about believing God's word when he says that he will send the Holy Spirit to equip us and be ready and willing to obey when he does. Do you expect the Holy Spirit to use you? Do you have that perspective? God can use me by the Holy Spirit. It's not about me, it's about his power working in me, and so he can use me. I'm not saying I'm anything good, I'm just saying he's really great, and so he can use even me. Do you expect him to give you gifts and empower your ministry? It could be that your lack of expectation, dare we call it lack of faith, is part of what's hindering his work in your life. Maybe it's not so much about his unwillingness, but that you're not paying attention to what he's willing to do. I just want to direct your attention to him this morning and encourage us to expect the spirit to move among us and through us. And that leads to a very related idea, the next way we cooperate with the Holy Spirit's empowering work, and that's practice it. We need a perspective that expects the spirit of God to speak, that to nudge us, to empower us, and a willing spirit to obey him. We need to practice putting ourselves in positions where the Holy Spirit can empower us for service. Because the work of the spirit is not a title, it's not a role. Sometimes we think about gifts of the spirit and we think about them as titles. Oh, I've got this gift and this person's got this gift. No, 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 The, 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 the gifts of the spirit are empowerments for service. So if you're not serving, Well, what's the point? Why would he empower you? 
If you're not putting yourself in a position where he can embolden you for witness, where he can enable you to build up the church, then yeah, maybe sometimes you feel a prompting and you say something and it's more self-aggrandizing than it is Jesus-exalting. And so if you're not if you're not practicing the kinds of things that the Holy Spirit wants us to be doing, like edifying the body and, and putting yourself in a position where you could be a witness to someone, well then why should we expect the Holy Spirit to enable the things that we're not, that we're not doing at all? Take Acts 6, 1 to 10 as an example. It says this, now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit and Philip and Procurus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. They, these they set before the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands on them and the word of God continued to increase and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and of the Alexandrians and of those from Cilicia and Asia rose up and disputed with Stephen, but they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Notice just a couple of things with me. First, they were selecting people to distribute food and to help keep unity in the church. That wasn't the job with the spotlight, was it? In fact, you could even interpret what the apostles said as demeaning. They said, we shouldn't neglect the word of God to serve tables. But it wasn't demeaning. They wanted men full of the spirit and wisdom to do it. And whatever your place of service, you should be full of the Holy Spirit. Second, notice how Stephen's ministry expanded from serving tables. He was doing signs and wonders and speaking with authority. How? How was he doing this? Because he was in a position for the Spirit to work, and he allowed the Holy Spirit to work through him. He didn't ignore the Spirit because he wasn't an apostle or didn't think his job required him to walk in the gifts or the power of the Spirit. He practiced these gifts in this new area of ministry, and that opened doors to him to great effect. The Holy Spirit gives a wide variety of gifts to a wide variety of people, and he wants us to walk in those gifts, to practice those gifts. The Bible mentions all kinds of gifts, prophecy and teaching and service and generosity and healing and encouragement and mercy and leadership and faith and more. And I don't think the Bible intends to say these are the only ways the Holy Spirit will empower and will work, but just to say these are the kinds of things the Holy Spirit does in people's lives, be willing to respond as he leads. And since the Holy Spirit gives such a variety of gifts, and the Bible says he gives gifts to everyone, you should practice them. Start by praying for him to empower you. Then change your perspective to start seeing opportunities for ministry and expecting that the Holy Spirit will enable you in those places. And then do it. Position yourself to be used. Practice the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives according to the faith he gives you. Put yourself in a position to be useful and you will be used. You don't have to have the same gifts as someone else. 
You don't have to have the same charisma or the same faith as someone else. Use what the Spirit gives to you without worrying about how he's using those other people. Know that they're part of the same body as you and that whatever God gifts them to do is for your benefit. And whatever God gifts you to do is for their benefit. And use the gifts God gives you. Wait, expect, and practice. And the final way we cooperate with this work of the Spirit is to unite around it. I'm going to ask our worship team to come back up. We're going to get ready to seek the Lord. And this has to do with how we use our gifts. How many of you are familiar with the love chapter in the Bible? You know the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, even if you don't, you don't recognize it immediately, you've heard it read at weddings for sure. Love is patient, love is kind, doesn't envy, doesn't boast, isn't proud. You've heard this read before. That chapter was originally written about how a church was using and should use spiritual gifts and was calling them to use them in love for one another. As our pastors were praying on Tuesday morning, one of them prayed for unity. And as they were praying for unity, I began to think about how Jesus taught his disciples to be unified and love one another. He said at John 13, 35, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Their love for one another would lead to unity. Their unity would lead to accomplishing Jesus' mission. The world will know that we are his disciples when we love one another. And spiritual gifts are given to minister to one another and to the world out of the love of Christ. We can have a love that leads to unity, that leads to mission through the work and the empowering of the Holy Spirit in us. The gifts of the Spirit are not disconnected from loving one another or from our mission to make disciples. They are all intertwined. The Spirit wants to give each of us gifts that both build the church and reach the unsaved with the gospel. And these goals all go hand in hand as the Holy Spirit empowers them. Our heart should be for God to use us in ways that bless the body of Christ and help the church make disciples. The Holy Spirit wants to empower you to be a part of that unity. He has gifts to give to the church, including to you if you're willing to receive them and use them in working for his kingdom. Baptism in the Holy Spirit is a gate to experiencing these gifts of the Spirit. It opens the door to the things the Holy Spirit wants to do to empower us. Now, often people will ask the kinds of questions about specifics that I don't know that anybody can actually answer. They'll ask things like, can't someone be used by God with, or by the Holy Spirit without being baptized in the Holy Spirit? I mean, maybe they can. I'm not here to write rules around what God can or cannot do. But if you read the story of the early church, you notice that the day of Pentecost, as well as the other times when bodies of believers were baptized in the Spirit, they became like gateways for that church to be empowered in the mission of God through the presence and gifts of the Holy Spirit. And so, yeah, could somebody be used by, in, in, in some kind of spiritual gift and empowered by God without being baptized in the Holy Spirit? Okay, sure, I mean, God can do what God wants to do, but if we're gonna look at the biblical pattern, we would say, this is how God is revealed. He typically wants to do it. And so what we can see is, baptism in the Spirit with the initial physical evidence of speaking in other tongues is like a gate that opens a door, or it's like a lock, a key that opens a door to the gifts of the Spirit being used in the church and being used for the mission of God. 
And we should long for that and seek that and desire his work among us. Why wouldn't we want to be open? Why wouldn't we want to open the door to how the Holy Spirit wants to work in us? And so I'm going to ask you this morning if you would stand with me because we want to take a few moments and respond and and seek the Lord. And I'm going to ask you to close your eyes for just a minute. I'm going to do this really quickly. This has been a message about the Holy Spirit, about gifts of the Spirit, but maybe you're here and you don't have a relationship with God through Jesus. I mentioned earlier that Jesus died. He did that for your sin and God raised him from the dead blowing a hole in the back of death so that you know there's a way out of this. My life is not defined by an end date. There there doesn't have to be an expiration on life, but instead I can know eternal life with God the Father forever. If you don't have a relationship with God through Jesus, your sin has not been cleansed from your life. You've not confessed that he's Lord. I wanna give you a brief opportunity this morning to do that. And so if that's you, you don't have a relationship with God through Jesus, and this morning you've just sensed an urgency, I need to be right with God. I need to know him today. I, I, I can't wait to do this until later. I'm gonna ask if you do this very, very simple thing. Would you just lift up your hand so that I can pray with you? Is there anybody like that? You don't have a relationship with God through Jesus and you're ready right now to confess, I believe in Jesus. I believe God raised him from the dead. Is there anybody like that? If that's you and you just, you're unwilling to respond right now, and as we move on, you sense I need to do this, would you come and speak to either myself or one of our other pastors who are gonna be up here praying? We would love to pray with you, but we're gonna move on right now and I wanna talk to you, believer. Maybe you've never been baptized in the Holy Spirit with the initial physical evidence of speaking in other tongues. And you've not experienced that sort of open door, that gate to the way that the Holy Spirit wants to work in your life. You're unfamiliar with those nudges and those promptings of the Spirit to direct you in ministry ways, to empower you. And today as we've talked through God's Word and and you've seen how God used others and, and you've heard how He wants to use you, your spirit is stirred, you want to receive. If that's you, you have never been baptized in the Spirit. You've never received that gift from God and you would like to receive that gift this morning. It's a promise from the Father. It's not something you earn. It's not something you deserve. It's something that you ask the Lord and trust by faith, just as you did when you gave your life to Christ. You trust him by faith that you will receive it. And so if that's you, I'm gonna ask you to do this to make this bold move. Would you just get out of your seat right now and would you come forward and get ready to pray? And as you come, you can just even begin to to pray and to seek the Lord. If that's you, you have not been baptized in the spirit, I'm gonna encourage you to be responsive. You don't have to wait for some big hullabaloo or for somebody else to go first because I know there are people here who have not received that gift. If that's you, be responsive to the Holy Spirit this morning on Pentecost Sunday. Come and seek him for that gift of baptism in the Holy Spirit. Would you come? Is there anybody like that? I'm only gonna wait a moment longer because I wanna get to praying, we wanna get to seeking. And so if that's you, get out of your seat right now and just come forward and begin to pray and just begin to seek the Lord. And I'll give you some more direction in just a minute, but just begin to lift up praise to him. Begin to express your desire to him. I wanna be used by you. And God, I I need your empowering work. And Lord, I want you to minister in my life. Pastors, if you wanna come and begin to pray with people, you sure can, please do that. And I wanna speak to the rest of us as well. Maybe you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit and you've already called out to him and and you've experienced his work in your life but you'd say I need a renewing of that in my life 
Maybe you've not been used or you've not been expecting and aware of the promptings of the Spirit as you should be. Maybe you'd say, I've not been practicing and walking in the gifts that the Holy Spirit has given me in the past like I should be. Maybe you'd say, I'm not even sure what those gifts are and I want to seek God to use me in new ways. If that's you, and you'd say, I need to be refreshed. I need to be refilled. I need to be renewed in the powerful working of the Holy Spirit in my life. Would you quickly get out of your seat and make your way forward and begin to do what these others are already doing and just call out to God, Lord, I desire you. Lord, I need you. I want you to work in my life. I want you to pour out my, your spirit on me again. I'm a willing vessel today. I want to be open to you. I want to be open to your presence and to your powerful works today, Lord. I want to seek you. Just go ahead and make your way forward if that's you.